Welcome to Caring for the Future. I'm your host, Richard Keyes. In each episode of this podcast, we ask the big questions to tackle the care sector's most difficult challenges. As founder and CEO of 2IC Care, I champion the role that a modern solution can play to create better care outcomes. And in these podcast episodes, we will continue to cover a range of topics to help local authorities in the lead up to the analogue to digital transition. Unfortunately, Krishnik couldn't be in the studio today, so um, if we sound slightly different to normal, that's uh, really, that's why. But we have a really interesting conversation, so I hope uh, you'll stick around. In each episode, I'll be speaking to an expert in their field to tackle the difficult questions head on. So with that said, let's get on to today's question. Is AI the future of care? I'm pleased to introduce Krishnik Hotti from Paincheck, and thank you very much for joining me. Krishnik, please uh, tell us a little about yourself and, and, and something about Paincheck. Uh, well, uh, thanks for the invite. Uh, it's really nice to be here. So I, I'm Krasnik. I'm uh, one of the co-founders of Paincheck. Um, my background is in, in pharmacy. Uh, I'm a professor in pharmacy, um, and I'm specialized in, in medication reviews. So that's my that's my professional background. background. But when it comes to um, uh, AI specifically, and my involvement with AI really dates back in 2012 initially, when uh, we started what was then uh, known as a prototype of, of what is today known as PainCheck, uh, which is a pain uh, pain assessment uh, instrument, and which is today a pain assessment system, really that uses uh, artificial intelligence uh, to identify uh, facial features of pain. So it automates that particular part of facial assessment before then going on in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a set of other questions or domains to compute a total pain scores. Now, we use AI to automate the face, but then uh, the user goes through a series of, uh, of checklists, uh, digital checklists, to uh, actually compute uh, compute a total pain score. Uh, so pain check is designed initially for those that are unable to communicate, and that includes... Uh, people living with dementia. So we started first as a prototype in 2012. I was at that time, and since then, you know, uh, PainCheck has been uh, has evolved significantly, and currently it's it's used uh, in Australia, UK, New Zealand, more recently in in, in Canada as well. It's regulatory cleared. Uh, there's more than uh, well nearly three million pain assessments that have been conducted in clinical practice using the pain check uh, uh, system uh, in, across tens of thousands of, uh, of, of people living with dementia. Andy by 2IC Care is the digital technology-enabled care solution which solves analog to digital and future-proofs your tech service. With Andy, you can personalise care packages, respond better to alarms and unlock preventative care. Speak to 2IC Care today to learn how you can unlock better care outcomes with Andy. Krishna, that's it's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, it's it's funny we, we just discussed that I've just had a uh, a knee replacement, so I'm a I'm a perfect candidate for you too. I can assure you, it is painful, and, and I've probably got it all over my face as well. Um, so no, it's really great to hear. It's absolutely fascinating. I, I think it sounds an amazing product, and and as a Kiwi, I'm thr- thrilled to hear that you've got it out through New New Zealand as well. 
Um, let's mm. let's go back to AI, and, and it, AI's officially been around for a very long time in the 1950s, and I even studied it in my computer science degree, and I won't I won't say when that was because it's uh, it's probably embarrassing to everybody, but. Um, yeah, it was, it's really interesting, but as you, as you quite rightly say, AI is really hitting its straps. So, Krishnak, so a lot of our uh, listeners won't won't really be um, f- fully experienced in, in what AI is, and, and there are an awful lot of people using that term when we know it, it actually isn't AI. In fact, we, we make a very definite point of saying what we do um, isn't AI. Could you could you give us a, a little bit of just just a short brief uh, update of of what what you believe AI is and where does things like the word machine learning come into that? Yeah. Well, yeah, sure, Richard. Well, uh, AI basically uh, is is now an interdisciplinary field. So uh, it, it spans across a number of fields. So it's not just because people uh, sort of focus uh, often on AI and computer science, but really uh, AI is an interdisciplinary field. It, it, it includes, obviously, computer science and maths and cognitive sciences, health, philosophy, and, and so on. And basically, uh, uh, artificial intelligence is that intelligence that is demonstrated by, 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 by machines. And it refers to this ability for machines to mimic uh, cognitive f- uh, functions that we associate with Human mind and with human uh, decision uh, making, and then we uh, uh, we employ these uh, functions in in learning, in problem solving, as well as uh, decision making. So this is in a nutshell uh, what AI is. And then then the other question is how AI works. AI works through a number of techniques, and one of these uh, key AI techniques is one that is called machine learning. So this machine learning gives computers or algorithms or AI models that ability to learn without explicitly uh, uh, being uh, programmed uh, necessarily. So basically what this means is that if you feed the algorithm with with data, which is uh, often large, which is often uh, need to be good quality, then the machine learning element uh, it allows the model to create strategy for excelling in that particular uh, particular task, and and therefore make predictions, uh, make recommendations, and 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 so on. So this is what 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 machine learning is in a nutshell. And uh, another another issue is uh, machine learning technique and other techniques versus statistical uh, methods or traditional statistical methods. I think this is quite an important uh, distinction. So basically, uh, the traditional stats analyzes a a particular data set and it analyzes its insights, whereas machine learning and AI-based techniques, they are trained on a data set, on a set of data, then they're evaluated on a different uh, data set and then used basically on a data set that they're not seen, which means it allows, it allows the, uh, the, the, the product or the user, et cetera, to make those, uh, those predictions. And Krishna, you, you mentioned the, that's really fascinating, that the, the, the data side, you mentioned large data sets. How, I mean, this, this might sound like a silly question, but how, you know, how many scenarios or how big do these data sets need to be before you can start feeling that the machine learning is actually delivering a reliable answer? 
well, th this is quite relative, uh, Richard. Basically, AI systems usually, uh, and very often, they require large amounts of data. This is because, uh, so they learn effectively and make those accurate predictions. However, um, it is worth mentioning that the amount of data that is needed varies based on a number of issues. Uh, it depends on the task that you're try trying to solve, uh, the nature of specific algorithm or the model used, and the basically the level of performance uh, that we need. So it's not always necessary that we have a huge, huge, huge uh, amount of, uh, of data, and this varies. For, uh, varies. For example, if you um, if you if you're using machine learning um, and if you're using AI in image recognition or speech recognition, then AI model requires millions of data points to achieve that level of accuracy. But there are other simpler tasks that AI models uh, require less uh, less data. AI systems usually uh, uh, require large uh, data sets depending on the, on the task. Um, that data set needs to be of good quality, needs to be diverse. If you have these elements combined, then uh, there's, a, there's a high chance of your AI system or AI model be basically being accurate and, and, and reliable. Great. If I, if I could just, just drill into that a little bit more, are we talking thousands of scenarios or hundreds of thousands of scenarios to, to, to get to something that you feel reliable and I know you, as you suggested it depends on the on the um, you know the use case that you're looking at but uh, I, I'm guessing it's not just a, a few hundred nor, nor even a, a thousand or two you're not going to get the right answers is that right well 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 exactly exactly as I as I, as I mentioned for image recognition and speech uh, recognition um, the, the AI models usually are learned and I don't know whether we have time for me to elaborate this in the context of healthcare or not, uh, but there's recently, uh, there's recently quite some interesting perspectives uh, published in, in, in journal, procedure journals. And um, there's a lot of things that are, you know, people are a bit scared of AI. That, you know, I guess it really depends on the the application that you're you're using it for, and and what you're doing sounds absolutely spot on. You know, um, I guess a lot of people are asking us, you know, would we use AI? Yeah, when we developed Andy, we we certainly considered AI or, or machine learning in particular, and and at the moment we we decided not to to use AI. We we use something what we or something that we would call a decision support system in, in its place in the interim, um, because we were a bit concerned about making. Uh, decisions that we weren't really entitled to make. What, what, what are your thoughts about where, 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 and when is AI best placed, and 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 uh, where the you know the issues might arise, if you like? My thoughts about how to use and 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 and, and, and risks and and so on. I think in healthcare, obviously, healthcare is a more conservative uh, field. If you look at other other fields where uh, uh, where um, uh, artificial intelligence has been deployed, so it is more uh, conservative. It's more uh, for it, it's basically patient oriented and so on. So we need to really make sure that the models that we put out there, the AI models, 
are models that are accurate, that are reliable, that are ethical in, its, in the way they use, and, and so on. But what we've seen in, um, uh, over the last decade now of, of, of dealing with a product that basically has, part of it has AI in it as well, is that uh, artificial intelligence, especially in healthcare, really should not focus uh, on replacing the human should not focus on replacing the health professional. I think uh, models or products that aim to totally replace the person, they're not mo models or, or products that are designed to uh, necessarily succeed in clinical practice. Having said that, clinical practice is really important when it comes to artificial intelligence and applications in healthcare. We have a lot of algorithms, a lot of solutions that are either at research stage or conceptual stage. They're really cool, they, they, they solve uh, a certain problem, but there's many of those solutions that are artificial intelligence based that have not really been deployed in clinical practice. So there's a, there's a huge gap between an artificial intelligence based model uh, you know, um, working and being accurate and uh, being tested in, in, in research trials and so on from it working in, 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 in clinical practice. There's artificial intelligence models in healthcare really uh, uh, should take into account the fact that it, they work best, in my opinion and from my experience, when they sort of complement the human. When we don't replace the human, when the, the model complements the solution, the product complements the human, uh, it gets rid of some of the burdensome tasks, perhaps, you know, administrative burden and, and so on, so that it leaves health professionals, it leaves clinicians with that more time to focus on, on so-called human superpowers, such as creativity, teamwork, collaboration, and, 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 and so on. I think those... Those, those models are really uh, models that are destined to be quite helpful in, in, in the future and uh, in, in clinical practice. And, uh, and, and they, the, the editor there uh, mentions how, for, for example, uh, you link large databases together, you're able to using, obviously, machine learning as well, uh, you, 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 you're able to, to see, to link together previously unrecognized patterns. So, in the clinical sense, this means that you can you can now identify potentially what you have previously clinically suspected, but it was difficult to prove. But now, with millions of data points working together, and with the uh, introduction of machine learning techniques, now you're able to prove that through uh, through these models. And I think this is going to be uh, this is going to be result uh, this is going to result in a significant. Um, uh, advance when it comes to the way we look at data, with the, the way we use data, and the new insights that we get from large data. Great, really interesting. Can I can I put the the slightly cynical hat on now? Of you know the, the cynics are out there. I'm sure there are there are plenty. And and I, I've my, my background is running large change programs. And and you mentioned that AI is working really well at the moment when you augment clinical practice, for instance. Um, and what, one of the interesting areas I, I've found in the past, if you semi-automate a process, eventually 
I won't say people get lazy, but it's easy just to fall back and say the computer says X and therefore I'll just follow X without doing any, you know, you lose that critique. What, 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 are, your, what are your thoughts about, about that? Do people will just, particularly when they're under pressure and everybody is these days and everyone's trying to do more for less and they'll say, well, pain check says, why, I'll, I'll just take that as the answer and we'll carry on. Yeah, uh, well, I, I, I'm a bit con- conservative when it comes to that, that particular aspect. I, I would like to think that you still need that clinical judgment, yeah. all right, and you still need to check the output of what AI model or AI product is, is feeding you. And that's why, um, as I was referring to earlier, if you, if you develop a product that sort of augments the clinical practice in a way that, you know, it um, removes some of the board, uh, uh, burdensome tasks, some of the cumbersome tasks, some of the tasks that are associated with a higher level of error, for example, and you leave the rest for the clinician to, uh, to do, then, you know, the model and the system, the solution itself works, uh, works better. I'll give you the example of pain check. For example, uh, we, we automated using AI face assessment and we know that that's that's the that's a particular domain in pain assessment in people with communication difficulties that is more prone to human error because there's more subjectivity if i know mrs smith and another two carers haven't seen mrs smith before then those two carers when they do assessment of face they might think that her normal face, which might, might be a normal frowning face for Mrs. Smith, they might think that that's a pain-related face and score as, in, as, as, as the person is experiencing a pain. So this is, there's a lot of subjectivity when it comes to face assessment in particular. And then once you, for example, identify frowning, for example, then you have three different carers or assessors uh, having to decide, well, how much frowning is that? Is that mild frowning? Is that moderate frowning? Or is that severe frowning? How am I going to score that? And again, if you don't know the resident, if you don't know the person, then that's going to be a, 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 a source of additional error. So, you know, using AI for tasks such as this, where you automate a task that is more prone to human subjectivity, I think it's, it helps. Yeah, that, that sounds sounds very sensible, and and getting those multiple data points from different angles to validate the what you're getting out of the AI to help sounds sound sensible. Just a, a quick one, you know, a lot of people. In fact, I think you've sort of answered this. A lot of people are scared that AI is going to take over all our jobs and what have you. But as you're saying, it augments um, what what uh, clinicians do. It doesn't replace what they do. So, do you don't see AI as being Something that's going to take away everybody's jobs, or, or not in the uh, not in the uh, care and clinical world. Well, there's there's certainly AI models, AI projects out there that are focused on so much automation that will, as an end result, might that particular product or that particular solution might replace a human. But as I said. Uh, we are uh, uh, working on, on models that help the humans. I think that's, that's a healthier way of using AI and a way in which AI will succeed easier or the product will succeed easier. But having said that, when it comes to jobs, obviously 
artificial intelligence related products uh, have the potential uh, to um, uh, automate certain tasks and jobs. And this can lead to issues such as job displacement or simply changes in, 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 in workforce. And this has been a topic of discussion, of concern in recent years, especially nowadays. Um, recent months, we've seen the eruption of chat GPT and, and similar LLM models. Uh, but uh, we need to acknowledge that the impact or potential impact of AI on jobs is complex, it's multifaceted. So we need to really elaborate uh, how, how, how AI will interplay with that particular aspect. Whilst AI can replace certain routine, repetitive, or tasks that are labor-intensive, uh, we need to also acknowledge that AI-related solutions can also create new job uh, opportunities. Um, and we also need to acknowledge that some jobs might be more prone to automation than others, whereas some other jobs uh, are easier complemented uh, uh, by uh, various uh, uh, AI, uh, various AI technologies. I think this is something that we need to have in mind. Uh, I, I don't think uh, AI will result in significant uh, uh, loss of jobs. I think there will be a job uh, displacement, and uh, definitely. Uh, there will be job opportunities for others as well as as what we can see today. AI is also creating these new new roles and new new tasks. But it'll be interesting to see in a couple of years where this uh, where this overall leads us. I'm sure your uh, your words of wisdom will be uh, reassuring to a lot of people. Um, that's interesting. You talked about the care sector and, and health sectors being pretty conservative. What, what's your thoughts? Do you think? Uh, I mean, I guess I know the answer because you've already managed to uh, sell the pain check product in, in a number of countries. Do you think? Do you think they're ready for AI, or uh, is that going to take a while? A while yet? Um, well, I think I think, for example, compared to five years, compared to seven years ago, uh, people are more ready for AI. People uh, are are uh, sort of uh, more willing to adopt technology. Uh, we know there was, for example, in the UK, there was a, a major policy paper released uh, last year, which sort of uh, talks about digitization, the need for uh, digitization, and, and so on. So I think it's a must uh, to move forward and embrace technology. I think this is uh, this is a very uh, uh, very important. Uh, the the literacy of people using computers using uh, uh, products with AI has increased dramatically. Uh, now we know that most people access the internet via mobile phones as opposed to, you know, 10 years ago where, you know, we used to sit on a laptop or on a desktop and, and, and so on. So that has changed. And this certainly, I believe, offers a, a, an environment where, where AI-related products are not too, too foreign for them. And we have trained, Richard, thousands of of, of various uh, uh, carers that use a pain check. And uh, we never had issues with people uh, quickly learning how to use pain check. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. Um, what people need more education, I think, 
uh, in relation to AI is on demystifying AI, on understanding that AI is not this magic that is that is just shooting you these uh, answers out of the blue. You know, it, it, it has a logic, it has a system, a structure behind it, and how it was built and so on. So that side of things, I think we need more education and more, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, people need more information around that. But in terms of using products that have AI, I think that's, that's a pretty straightforward task because, task because uh, people, most people already use various products that they know or they might not, might not know at all uh, that uh, actually have AI-related uh, capabilities or they, they are enabled using uh, AI. So, uh, Krishnak, that, that, that's absolutely fascinating. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will have um, picked up some really interesting points out of that and, and be reassured it's not this uh, black art that, that it's painted up to be. So thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Caring for the Future. I hope to catch up with you next time. Have a great week and thank you very much to Krishnak. Uh, thank you very much, Richard. It was a real pleasure.